Hello there and welcome to the Ethnic Excellence Podcast. My name is Ilyas and I am the host. In today's episode I will be interviewing Hoa. She was an international student from Nigeria who came to study law in the UK. She will be discussing her experiences of the education system and the workplace as well as psychological barriers that she overcame to get to where she is now as well as sharing tips of anyone who wants to study law to achieve a training contract, as well as individuals who are looking to change career pathways. I hope you liked today's episode, and I'll catch you later. Bye. Hello, how are, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How have you been? How are things? Um, today's Sunday, so just trying to catch up on everything that I didn't have the chance to do during the week. Um, Is that a lot? Um yeah because I have been traveling in and out for the cap uh the past couple of weeks so I feel like this is the first weekend in a while where I've really been at home so it's kind of like to catch on. Has that been work related the traveling? Uh just personal family friends that sort of thing uh, that I really enjoyed but it just meant that I wasn't at home to be on top of the things I would have liked to be on top of. Are you, so. are you glad to be back at home where things are much calmer? I am. I am. Like they say, um, home is where the heart is. So I'm glad to be back home and a bit more settled. Okay. Well, let's dive right into some of the questions that I had lined up for you. So I'll start off with asking you about your educational experiences. Um, okay. If you want to start with um, high school and then we'll just work our way from there. Okay. So I did not school in the UK up until university. So I went to I went to school in Nigeria. So up until my sixth after sixth form, so I did my primary school, secondary school, and then I did like a foundation year at college in Nigeria, and then I moved here for university. So I guess for the most part, my background it was outside of the UK. So I didn't really have that experience of like going to um, a school like secondary primary school in the UK or going through the UK education system. Um, so yeah, that, that is kind of like my background. Did you know when you were in high school uh, that you wanted to study law? Or was this something that came later or even earlier? <laughs> I feel like it was something I didn't really decide on until I was in sixth form. So until I was doing my foundation year. Um, I think when I was growing up, I got that a lot. Oh, you're going to be a lawyer because you like talking a lot. Oh, you're going to be a lawyer because you like arguing a lot. Oh, you're going to be a lawyer because, you know, you've got very strong opinions. So I had people, like, dropping those things, you know, in, like, here and there. Um, but then, I, you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I said, oh, you know, I was, I said I was going to go, I was going to be a journalist at one point. I said I was going to go into interna- international relations at one point. Um and then there were just like a few other things here and there that I said I wanted to do. But eventually I said, you know what? Like I did law in my foundation years. I did law, sociology, business studies and um, a couple of the modules. But I think just doing that just made me think, oh, this isn't actually bad. You know, if anything, I would like to continue studying it. So when it was time to apply for universities, I applied and I got in. Why did you choose to come to the UK to study law? Um. I mean, oh, God, so I wasn't actually meant to come to the UK at first. Um, as some of you may know, international student fees are very, very expensive. <laughs> so when I finished secondary school in Nigeria, it was kind of like, 
what, what was next, you know, what was going to happen next. My dad actually wanted us to go to school in Ghana. So the original plan was for us to move to Ghana and for my, my twin and I, so I've got a twin brother. And we had an older brother who was already in Ghana already doing his university. So the original plan was, oh, you know, you guys are going to finish school and then you're just going to go to Ghana to kind of like follow his footsteps and everything. But my mom was very determined. She wanted us to come to the UK to study just because it was just kind of like, you know, the UK is the best for education and you kind of just need to go. Um, so at the at the time when we were when my dad wanted asked what we wanted to do next, I said, okay, we can't go to the UK straight away, and you you don't kind of want us to do that because of various reasons. So why don't we just go do sixth form? You know, move back to Lagos, do sixth form. We're going to be at home, so we'll be you know rather the because I went to a boarding school in Nigeria, so it was kind of like you get to live at home for a year, and then we'll see what happens after that. So my dad was like, okay, that's a fair compromise. And then, so yeah, I went to the, so there's a, there's a school in Lagos called Bridge House College, and they're like a sixth form for people who want to school in the UK, but don't necessarily want to come here to do like A-level, so they do, they can do it there, and then they transfer. Um, and the school is connected to a sixth form here called Brook House College. So we went there for a year, and it was still kind of like, are we going to go to the UK, or are we not going to go to the UK, what's going to happen? And then my mom was still very determined. She was still kind of like, you know, we'll apply for, you know, do the personal statements, apply for the the schools and everything, and then we'll see what happens. And then someone who was friends with, someone who my mom had helped with, like, a medical issue, kind of, and who happened to be a teacher at the at the sixth form, kind of just spoke to my brother one day around him and was like, oh, like, I heard you guys want to go to the UK, but you're not really sure. Have you heard about this university called Hull? They're offering, like, scholarships to student at this college maybe you should consider applying and then my brother told my mom about it my mom was like, oh okay definitely like apply so we applied for a scholarship and then I got it and it was kind of like full tuition covered for three years so at that point it was just kind of like okay now you know like this is a very like this is a valuable opportunity like it would be very silly not to take it and so yeah we took it and then we moved here so that's kind of like the journey <laughs> okay so before diving into the educational aspect the difference, yeah. obviously, between the United Kingdom and Nigeria. When you arrived, um, how did you find the difference in cultures? I think for me, I was I was very lucky in the sense that when I moved to the UK, I had people here already. So I've got auntie who lives in Essex, and I've got a family, a very close family friend who lives in London. So I had that kind of like support system to a large extent and I was also kind of lucky because a few people from my college came to went to the same uni as me as well so we kind of had our own little bubble where we kind of just were there for each other so I would say like my first semester my first university was a bit went a bit smoother because of that thankfully um but it's just little things that you know you, you find different cultures so um Nigerians are very expressive people um and like in most cases we say what we mean which can be a good thing and a bad thing but I found like it's almost the opposite here sometimes uh, so you know that would that would be one thing but I think it's just little things like um the weather like Nigeria is a very very hot country um the UK is cold and cloudy and rainy um you know and they're just other things that are, are very different that I don't want to start going into but but it, it's I'll say it's the little things that that you kind of um, you kind of notice. I'm, I'm trying. This was almost ten years ago now. Um, I'm trying to remember, but yeah, it, it's um 
things just run a things run in a different way that than they did back home um and i'll say yeah those were some of the things that and maybe as we continue the conversations a few things have popped to mind but those are some of the things that i would say i noticed at first no yeah i would agree um since as i have family from the middle east the weather is uh very very different but you get used to the rain and then you actually don't mind it with a bit of wind you kind of like it on a, a winter's day some, no. for myself i actually like to go for a walk in light rain I find it relaxing. I don't know if it's the, just the, the natural sounds of it all. Um, but I was going to, with the culture aspects, I was going to ask more about as well uh, the difference between uh, African cultures are more collectivist, mm-hmm. whereas uh, European and Western countries are more individualistic. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you, I'm assuming you noticed that, was that very, yes. so, yeah. like, was that very sudden? Did you notice it right away? Or, I think for me, it wasn't something I noticed right away. And I think the reason I did it was because, like I said earlier, I was very lucky in that when I moved to Hull for, for university, I wasn't alone. So I had my twin brother. I had, like, people who had gone to my sixth form with as well. Um, so the, which was why, I guess, in some ways, we replicated that culture of, like, collectivism because we kind of, like, stuck with each other, you know, and we're there for each other in that way so it wasn't something else that I noticed at first maybe, and I would say maybe that was because I was kind of in my own little bubble um but I think as time went on and I remember a friend of mine who she was an international student as well and she was she, she, she just said it one day she was like it's so easy to get very lost and lonely in this country and I think that was the moment I realized I said that is so true like um and this is something I feel like lots of university students particularly like struggle with when they start university is that isolation and how easy it's to, it is to just get lost um, and just become a number somewhere that no one really, really, like, and mm. notices or remembers is there. Um, so those are some of the things that um, that I would say maybe as time went on, I, I started to notice. But it wasn't necessarily something I noticed within my first couple of months of first year. And I think it was just because I was lucky that I had my people around me. Um, but I think, yeah, you're right. Like, UK is a very, um, I think it's the West, it's the, one of the differences between the West and the East. I think Eastern cultures have no... And then for being very collectivist, communal-based, um, which can be, like I said, it's not perfect as well. There are downsides to you sometimes, but it's more like, yeah, there's that, like, collectivism, collectivist mindset, sorry. Whereas I feel like over here it's a bit more the focus on the individual. It's about my rights, my person, what I want, that sort of thing, um, which I think has some of its good sides, but has lots of its downsides as well. And it's something I, mean, I really like that, sorry, the longer I've been um, I think it's something I've realized as well that the longer I've been here as well that I kind of it, it's very easy to get stuck into that without even like consci- without even doing it consciously so I've had to kind of had my own deprogramming to some extent as well and kind of like my mom would say remember where you came from sort of thing was that difficult was that easy to do um I think it w- it's not it was diff- it wasn't difficult I think the when I realized I was kind of falling into that pole um or going down that path um i did i you know a lot of it just it kind of it was like a light bulb moment and i realized oh actually no like no like why like why am i thinking in this way why am i like approaching the situation in this way this is not how i think i was raised to to approach it this is not what my like the the parts of my culture um that I, i i strongly believe in Teach, teaches me to go about this um, but like I said even back home in Nigeria I don't it's not perfect like people can be very communist like communal like have that collectivist but to some extent as well like this 
roots of individualism that has seeped into the culture as well. Um, and you see it sometimes in, you know, some of the negative things that happen back home, so corruption, greed and that sort of thing, which are very individualistic um, attributes. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, to, I guess to answer your question, yeah, it was something I did pick up on eventually. Okay. So diving into the educational experience, what were the differences that you noticed straight, right away? Differences, it's, it's almost like... So I would say, like, the education system in Nigeria can be very theory-based, whereas coming here, I realised that it was opposite. There was more emphasis on application to a large extent and, like, critical thinking. And, and that's not to say that's not part of the, like, that's not part of the education there. But I felt like the comparison, the major distinction was that. Um, I felt like I was challenged more to actually give my opinion to a large extent. Whereas I felt like back when I when I went to go in Nigeria, there was that emphasis of just, yeah, just write out the theory and what the right answers are. Like, you know, this is it and just focus on that. Um, so that was one key difference I, I picked up on. Um, and I think just sometimes how things were just organised in, in certain ways. Um, whereas unfortunately, I think, feel like back home, like things are not as organised as they can be. Uh, unfortunately so it's just it's just the little things that you pick you pick up on in the differences um so but I would say that was one key difference like realizing that it's not just about cramming all of the words and regurgitating them on paper like there's that element of like actually taking time to break it down into pieces understanding me and then like expressing your ideas and your points differently um, okay did you find the course uh, quite engaging was it was it a good course basically as a whole i feel like in hindsight i probably would have done law and maybe i would have done something else alongside it if i if i was thinking there's so many like a joint honors degree yeah i think i would have liked to do maybe psychology maybe or even something to do with business or yeah probably psychology and business would have been nice to do um when i went to i I did a master's as well and i know i I had a few mates when i was in my master's who were doing african studies and politics and it seemed like what they were doing was very interesting so i would have probably liked to do some of that as well um but my course was law is just law like it's it's pretty much the same thing everywhere you go where where, where, like wherever you choose to study it and you know you have to do land law you have to contract law you have to do criminal but you know the setting the setting modules you have to do to have a qualifying law degree so it's pretty much the same it might be taught differently but it's still the same like standard things that you have to learn um there were were, in my final year though i was lucky that i got to do some modules that i picked some of the modules i did like so i did introduction to islamic law for instance which was very interesting um i did medicine ethics and the law which i found really interesting as well i did company law so i would say like over the three years, the most interesting and engaging was my final year because I really got to choose what I wanted to actually study. Um, and I did find those modules really, really interesting. So you, you enjoyed the course from the sound of it? I would say so, particularly my final year. My first and second year, maybe not, because the modules were just <laughs> It was like, land, I did land in second year and uh, just thinking about it makes, it makes me shudder. <laughs> um, but... I would say, yeah, my final year particularly, I did enjoy lots of the modules I did. So usually the final year, they give you a bit more freedom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what to study and what avenues you can take to specialise for your, your dissertations or yeah. any other module that might give that type of freedom that the mm-hmm. dissertation module gives. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you think, looking back on it as a whole, regardless of the actual content you, you studied, what did you think of the university? 
Or the area that you lived in as well, since it's too long. No, so Hull was, it's very, very different from Lagos in so many ways, from where I was coming from. But I guess because it was my first point of contact in the UK, there wasn't much to compare it to aside London, which, like I said, I had family friends and like family based in. Um, uh, it's not really but, fair to compare with most places. I know, I know. So, <laughs> but Hall is, Hall is there. Like, it was, it, I say Hall served, like, it served me for the time that I needed it to. It did um, what I needed to do. Yeah, you know, it's a very cheap, like, city to live in as a student, like, compared to, like, because I went to Hall and then went to Birmingham, and Hall was way, way cheaper to live in. Like, I think my rent for an entire year was, like, three grand. Um, wow, okay, that's yeah. really cheap. It was really cheap. So that's it was cheap by yeah. other city standards as well. Exactly. So it's a very cheap. So if you're a student, you can get by with the bare minimum in Hull. Like it was good for that. Um, but it was also like the cities could be very slow because, and I think maybe, I, but then again, I think because of my point of reference, it did feel a bit slow sometimes. But I was very much the student who was very busy with like societies and like, you know, uni work that I didn't really engage with the, the city as much. And I think lots of students find that when they go to university in a different city, they don't really get to engage with it as much as they want to. But in my case, I just didn't have the time to because I was busy with different societies and so many other things that I was trying to do that I didn't really get the time to kind of like really getting involved in the city we yeah, it did feel a bit slow sometimes uh, people are very nice though in Hull like I think it's a it's a stereotype about northern people about how they're very friendly and I can attest to that they were very friendly and very nice people over there um, people actually take the time to say hi to you and yeah compared to like I like, was say Birmingham or even London sometimes um as well oh sorry so it was good but I think yeah. I went so Hull is a non-Russell group university and unfortunately I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be very transparent about it I am grateful for the opportunity that the university gave me and you know I do want to pay it forward in so many ways but I think I'd also want to be transparent in that like because it was a non-Russell group university university to some extent like we didn't really get access to some of the opportunities that especially because I went to Birmingham I'm able to compare both that people who attended Ross Group universities, I think, got access to the same opportunities. So, for instance, we didn't have lots of the big companies coming to our careers fair or the law fairs, you know. I had people in the career service tell me there's no point applying to that company or that law fair because, yeah, they're not really looking for students who go to, you know, non-Ross Group universities or because, yeah, this is not Oxford or Cambridge, so you probably shouldn't bother applying. Maybe you should try, like, lower expectations a bit. A bit. So I guess to some extent there was a culture of lower low expectations, which I don't think, like, anyone maybe intended for it to be the case but it was something that I did observe especially because I was able to compare to Birmingham which I attended in attended my master's for so I guess those are some of the good sides and the bad sides um but is that the university's fault is that more the firm's fault for thinking law students from non-Russell group universities are not as good as law students from Russell group universities because I, I think that's not fair in my opinion yeah um you think is I agree because it's it's almost like a it's it's I because this is it's kind of like a social class within the education system in a way. It's almost like the Russell groups are the high the first you know first class. Yeah, university. it's um it is a whole thing and there's a big conversation in the industry now about diversity and what diversity looks like and how it's not just from a certain group or everything. So in so many ways, I guess it's almost both sides are like to blame. I think lots of companies and lots of like organizations and, and firms and all of that need to start rethinking who that who the 
who a good candidate candidate the the profile of what a good candidate looks like, and it, they need something beyond the standard uh, Oxbridge, LSE, UCL. And actually, like, I went to whole university, and I am an amazing candidate. I like to think I would be a valuable asset to an organisation I join. And my feedback speaks for itself. But there there might be some people who just because of the university I attended, they may not give me a second look because they just assume that oh, it's not on, it's not a Ross Group University, so we're not going to give this person that much thought. So I think to some extent, yes. Um, Organizations and like companies need to rethink the profile of the people they're looking to recruit and what like what a good like what a great candidate looks like or what a great candidate should have. But I also think that it almost is, it's almost a cycle that perpetuates itself. So because these companies do not really necessarily like look for students from this sort of universities, the people within those universities then just start to like believe that they can get into those companies, and then people around them also then think that they can get into those companies. So it's almost like it's a cycle that reinforces itself. Mm. um so yeah i would say yeah, like i agree with that yeah. yeah okay um so how okay, as an international student and as a black woman how did you find your experience at university hall and as well as at university birmingham where you did your masters because i'm um, assuming birmingham's a lot more diverse i mean than hall i mean just yeah, as a city as a whole <laughs> regardless of the university yeah so i think hall was good for me um i was very lucky in that I found my people so I was actively involved in the Islamic society um, met some of my good friends who I'm still friends with through that um, you know so it wasn't the most ethnically diverse city and student population especially like you said compared to Birmingham um, but I think that, that like a lot of the so a lot of the black people there, of the minority, we found their own like groups. So we had lots of societies that people could join, or groups that people could like really go and get engaged in, and like find the kind of like people and everything. Um, but I think coming to Birmingham was a whole different ball game because Birmingham is also you know a very diverse city. So you just meant that as well. There was just more, and I, I was lucky in Birmingham as well. In that there were so many groups I joined that really really helped me really like connect with that part of my culture and identity so I was part of the black and ethnic minority association the African developed forum so there are lots of the spaces that really help you like I actually say that Birmingham is where I really started to form like my opinions and like my thoughts about a lot of the issues in the world just because I was lucky to be surrounded by people who were on that path as well um so yeah but I said Hull was the opposite I didn't feel like I really got to connect to that and I think it was just because of the lack of diversity for various reasons and being and being a black woman did you encounter any forms of discrimination or racism during your experience within the education system within the uk Um, whether that be indirectly or directly i i think no so i think i've been very lucky in that i didn't um in hull or in birmingham um not directly anyway um although when i was in hull i had a I had a friend who did experience some, she was, she was living in one of the student accommodation and she did experience some discriminatory like behavior from other, others. Uh, but I think I was just lucky that I didn't um, experience that. Even similarly in Birmingham as well, a few friends of mine had really bad experiences. Uh, but I've just been lucky that I haven't. And that's not to say it doesn't exist. So I'm not one of those people that I say just because I haven't experienced something that doesn't exist. No, like I said, even just talking about the two, th- two situations relevant to that happened to my friends it shows that they do exist and I still think they're like um even when we think about there was a whole movement about decolonizing the education system um that I think is still ongoing anyway 
And when we even look at that, I have friends who did who did English, for instance, who hated it because the curriculum was just not diverse, um, or who did like politics and then they felt like the curriculum was just not as diverse as it could be. So the education system, I would say, yes, definitely has a long way to go in terms of making it diverse and like actually telling the stories of like the, what happened in the world, not the version that they feel like is palatable or is easy for people to take in. Um, so but yeah but like i i would have people make some very controversial like i did i was part of um in my seminars and tutorials i had people make some controversial statements sometimes and it's kind of exhausting having to like challenge those comments or like debate them but other than that i think i was lucky that i didn't experience any kind of overt or like overt racism or discrimination okay and at your time at university birmingham was that a one-year course or two-year masters yes it was for a year so one year masters in law Okay, what made you want to, was it specifically just a master's in law, Was did it have a specific title? Yes, so I did a master's in international law, crime, justice and human rights. What made you want to focus on that, or specialise yeah. in that? <laughs> so when I finished in, so I did do human rights, as a, I did human rights in my final year. Did I do, did I do human rights in my final year? I think I did, I think I did do human rights in my final year at uni. And I was I, when I decided, okay, I'm gonna go do law. One of my goals is I'm gonna become a human rights lawyer. You know, I'm gonna be like fight the power, fight the people. Um, so when I was thinking about what I wanted to do after I finished undergrad, it was just kind of like, okay, I might as well just go do my masters now. Um, I'm in education, I'm in academia. I can't think of anything else I want to do right now, so I'm gonna go do my masters. Um, so I went to do my master's in human rights, uh, got a scholarship to go to University of Birmingham, which kind of just made the decision easier as well, because it's kind of, oh, I'm being funded to do this, so I might as well go do it, you know, even though I want to do it as well. So I went on to do um, it, and it was because I'm very, like, I'm very strong opinions, I have an idea of how I feel like the world can be better, and how the law plays a role in that. And for me, it was kind of like furthering that interest in that area, so... You know, I wanted to like go on, you know, go become a specialized human rights lawyer, um, actually do work that made a difference and actually like impacted the world. And at the time, I thought human rights was kind of like one of the ways I could do it. Or in some in some ways, I thought it was the only way that I could do it. Um, and then obviously, after a while, I did kind of change my 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 path and everything. But at the time, it was because of that. It was because I wanted to see how I could further my like career in human rights. And so, yeah, I decided to come to Birmingham because it had one of the, it was, it was a really highly ranked university and, um, and I'd come to the city before and I liked it. So I thought, why not? Did you prefer university Birmingham to university? Well, I mean, it's going to be hard to compare because it's one year compared to three. Yes. I think I preferred Birmingham for just because of some of the reasons I mentioned. The city was more diverse. Um, it was more like a city city. Um, and because I just felt like I was, I had more access to more opportunities than I did in Hull. So when I was in Birmingham, Birmingham, my, so before I came to Birmingham, I never tried applying for like any, for lots of opportunities because lots of people told me not to, there's no point basically because you're not a script university and I was going to look at you. Like mm -hmm. there's no point trying, just don't bother. They, they set that psychological barrier. barrier. Yeah. So I had a big psychological barrier that has taken me a very long time to overcome. But so when I was in Hull, I didn't really like, I, I was very lucky actually that when I was in my second year, 
um like at the time my career advice actually told me to stop saying i'm lucky like it's just like you're an amazing candidate you fought for this so you got it but I, I i did do complete some internships um in my second year i did a legal internship with the east riding of yorkshire council for like a month and I was, it was paid and everything and i only got that because of the partnership with the university so it was a, a partnership interview with the university that i applied for and i got it um, and I also got some lots of like work experience opportunities there that, you know, actually gave me, gave me the opportunity to earn money, but also gave me that like work experience that I could then use for lots of things I applied for later on. But even when I was writing my University of Birmingham um, application for my scholarship, I was able to draw on some of the things I'd done at whole. So it did provide me lots of opportunities, but in some ways as well, it didn't. So it was like coming to Birmingham and then I was seeing like big firms attending the careers day so you know you had access to Clifford Chan, you had access to Freshfields you know we had like an event where we were able to like literally like socialize with partners from some of these big firms you know we had like special events like special afternoon tea or lunch or dinner with with Freshfields or you know an evening with Abbott Smith Freehills or Allen and Ovi like application session like these were lots of things that I did not get access to in whole like even though like I said in so many ways I'm grateful for the opportunities I did get there but it just meant that like I was exposed to a whole like it was almost like anything was possible and that was the first time ever that I'd actually considered making an application to a lot to a lot of them just because I was in a space where it was encouraged people were doing it it was so that it could it was possible so I guess in some ways like I I don't know if I preferred one over the other if I were to choose I'll say Birmingham for the reasons I've mentioned but I think both of them gave me different things at, at the stage I was in my life okay well, I'm glad then that you had a good experience in Birmingham as well as in Hull um, yeah. leading on from what you just said uh, applying for law firms what was that like what's the process so it's all changing now because they've got something called the sqe but um but like back then um i mean not back then like some years ago it was kind of a thing where you did a, you could either do a law degree or you did a non-law degree and you do something called the gld so that's the graduate diploma gdl sorry the graduate diploma in law and then if you did that was if you didn't do a law degree if you did a law degree so i could start with that if you did a law degree like i did the idea was that when you're in a second year you start applying for training contracts and vacation schemes lots of law firms that only recruit through the vacation schemes but when i was at uni some five years ago it was a thing where um you could apply directly for a training contract during the july recruitment cycle or you could apply for a vacation scheme and then interview for a training contract afterwards so you did, and the idea was that you did that in your second year so that when you graduate in your third year, you go do the legal practice course and then you start your training. So lots of law firms recruit years in advance because of that. Um, so that was kind of like the idea. And so second year came and I, I did apply to some firms. But, you know, when you just do because of like, mm, let me just do it just because and not really expecting it because I'm like, oh, they're not going to hire me anyway. What's the point? I'm not going to bother. So I did apply to some like mid-sized firms. Um, was that because of a lack of confidence or self-esteem? It, was. Was it was because I had low self-esteem when it came to like my career aspirations and because I lacked confidence in myself and my abilities and because I had so many voices in my head telling me that this was something that was not within my reach. This was something that was not possible for me. And when you're like, when you don't see certain things and, you know, you, you start to believe that it's not possible for you i didn't have that many people that graduated from my university who had gone on to work for magic circle firms right now i know quite a few people have done that but back then i didn't know that many people had done that um 
And so it wasn't like even I could aspire to something. And even when I did see some of those things, it was kind of like, oh, well, they're the exception. Rather than thinking, well, I can be the exception as well. It's just kind of like, you know, I'm not going to bother. So I did do some applications here and there, but they were mainly to like mid-sized firms and high-street firms because I thought that was the most I could aspire for. Um, so that, so, that, that was, so I'll, I'll come back to that. But I think going back to your question about the process, it was kind of that. And then you apply and then you get a training contract. And the idea is you train for two years. This is not the only route into law. There's so many other routes into law. You can do something called Silex as well. That's that's an alternative route as well. This, the SQE as well is going to be very different because it means that like, it's a bit flexible in how you can do your training. Um, and if you want to be a barrister, you do pupillage and everyone. I have an amazing friend as well who went to hell like, and is, she's, she's a barrister now and she's qualified. And back then, the, the, like the thought of that happening, or someone from Hull actually going to qualify to London Chambers and actually like excel, it's kind of like, oh, how's that going to happen? Like, they're not looking at you, they're not looking for you. So I think that's kind of like roughly what my journey was. So I didn't really apply in my second year. I did some application, but I didn't get anything. In my final year, I didn't do as well. It wasn't until I started my master's that I actually started seriously considering it. But even then, within my first year, I, I still wasn't sure. Can you hear noise or sorry? I can, yeah, but I don't know where it's coming from, but, um, but in my first, like, it wasn't until the first year of my master's when I started to think about, okay, what do I want to do, um, and I said earlier on about human rights, and now I'd considered going down that path, so during my master's, I I did an internship, uh, a really, really big human rights law firm in London, doing that internship made me realize that maybe I do want to do human rights, because as well, with getting into human rights, human rights is a very specialized um, area of law. And most of the times, there are not many training programs in that area. And even when they're training programs, they can be quite low paid. Um, a lot of organizations expect you to just do unpaid internships. I don't know if it's changed now, but back then, that was kind of like what it was. And I realized that, one, I didn't have anyone who was going to fund me through an unpaid internship. And two, I wasn't really sure I was actually interested in doing that type of work every day because my 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 work experience with this firm really gave me an idea of what the work was like and I was like I'm not sure if I want to do like it can be quite emotionally taxing and um, so I just wasn't sure if it was something I wanted to do so that kind of moved me away from the human rights path so when I was then doing my um when and then in 2017 when I finished my master's and then I applied to two law firms so I applied to, to a firm called Hogan Lovers and another firm called Bermuda Lake and Paisner they've kind of merged out to BCLP and I applied to them and I got through to the interview stage I was like oh actually I can actually like do this but then I got through to the interview stage and then because my confidence was so low my I didn't believe in my abilities I messed up I didn't do well in interviews and it's kind of really silly in hindsight to think that like I got through to that stage but I still let my like lack of confidence and everything like sabotage me so I, I then I did some applications between the time of, like between that time and until finally I got the yes I, I would like I really wanted and during that time I still struggled with my confidence lack of belief in myself and everything so I guess that's kind of roughly my journey um it took me I finished uni 2016 so it took me about five years to get to the point where I am right now um but I think I got I got it at the time I was meant to get it um I guess to answer your question what changed I had friendships that really inspired me um, and it's true what they say that sometimes you need the permission you need to do something comes from like seeing other people do it and it was seeing 
like people from my university go on to like work from like get training contract with some really great firms so seeing people from my year go to dla piper norton rose you know go on to um like some really big american law firms going to secure pupillage and in some ways it's not even in a looking that it's just kind of like wait i know that person if they did it come on i know i could do it as well not in a like a way to downplay their achievement but almost kind of like I, you know when you have that silly friend who's just silly it's like that person did it oh, of course i could. like i feel like i could do so yeah. in lots of ways like my peers are like my friends gave me permission to actually go after it and i have an amazing amazing friend who would not give up on me you know she saw my potential and she just kept on saying like what are you doing like she's like you, she's like you're so intelligent you're so smart like, i can't believe that you're not and she always be like girl they're like people who are not half as smart as you so you going on to do this like what like you kind of need to up your game and like start going after what you really want and that really really pushed me and it helped me break down some of the psychological barriers and the moment sorry, sorry just pause you one second sorry i'm so sorry about that um so you were saying that your best friend one of your close friends was rooting for you and motivated you inspires you yeah. to so yeah it was um it was there like and it just pushed me to, to just go after it and just get, and I think lockdown really helped me like really think about oh my god what am I doing in my life like what is going on you know what I kind of need to figure out what I want um and just go after it and I think I just started to do little little things that really helped me begin to like build my confidence over time and the moment I was able to move past that psychological barrier, I felt like things just started to open up for me. And this is why I preach mindset so much, because I think mindset is so, so important. Like, sometimes it's the reason why we don't make the most of the opportunities that come our way. Sometimes it's the reason why we don't go after things we want. Sometimes it's what's keeping us stuck. So moving past the psychological barriers really, really did help me finally go after what I wanted. And I'm so grateful that I was able to get it. But yeah, that was kind of like my changing point, like having people around me going to do it, who gave me the permission to do it in their own way, but also having people who would not let me underachieve, who kept on pushing me to actually go after what I wanted. What, okay, that's great to hear. What made, what was the change to go from human rights law to becoming a solicitor for a private firm? Yeah, so I think that in my case, because I hadn't really like, worked in the industry it wasn't that much of a change to make if anything like and this is what i know it's very hard to get work experience like trust me i know but if you can especially when you're university try to explore as many areas as you can in different ways it doesn't necessarily even have to be it could even be something like doing a short course it could be something like um just doing your own research watching there's so much there's so many so much resources out there um even like but just doing that work experience made me realize that oh, I don't think this is what I want to do like as a career at all but if I hadn't done that I probably would have still be chasing the goal um and just realized that sometimes idealized version of the things we want and not as great as the reality of them which is why I said as much as you can like try to get that exposure um so that you can really see for yourself um so it was kind of like for me my logic was then if I'm not going to do this what would I what do I want to do and I'm very interested in business um, how they work, how they like the, you know, the, the, the power that they can have, the difference they can make and all of that. So it was just kind of like, it makes sense to do that. Um, and also in my, in my head at the time as well, it was kind of like, if I do this and it doesn't work out, it's okay. I can always do something else and giving myself that freedom and like that permission to, to, to not get it right. 
it just makes it easier to not feel stuck because it was kind of, I know that my, what could have kept me stuck was, okay, I don't want to do human rights. So, uh, well, what if I don't want to do commercial law either? What if I don't want to be a private client? Like, oh my God, I don't know, I don't know, so I'm not going to do anything. But it was just kind of like, if I do those areas and they're not what I want, then it's fine. Like, the world, I always said the sun is still going to shine the next morning. Like, it may be hard to do some, but it, like, it's not the end of the world, basically. So, that gave me permission to kind of just change course a bit. Um, and there's so many other reasons that I probably shouldn't talk about, but that just kind of like made it easy for me to make to make that change. What's money one of them? <laughs> I think, you know, like I said, I just couldn't afford to do on internships and a lot of the opportunities yeah. in the industry at the time were not very well paid. Unfortunately. No, you do you do hear a lot of stories where some students offered internships but then it's three months and you have to live in London while not being paid, but you're from a working class family, so you can't afford it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know that lots of organisations are trying to change that now, but back then it was just kind of like, I can't afford to go to Geneva to do a human rights internship with the UN and not be paid. <laughs> like, yeah. my parents were not going to do that for me, you know, or I can't go work for the Red Cross. and pay. Like, it was just kind of the thing where, I was finishing uni and I just needed to start thinking about being, I needed to start being a bit practical. Um, so, yeah. How competitive are training contracts? They are very competitive, but that's a good thing because it shows that like, you know, if you do get it, you're one of the best of the best. <laughs> um, or for the most, in the majority of cases anyway. But they are very competitive. But I don't think that should be anything to, like anything in life that, is good quality for the most part would be competitive um if anything that should energize you to, to go after it more but it is competitive it's a very competitive industry it's, you know they're not that many training places um the training opportunities so you know and the thousands and thousands of law students who graduate every year who are going after like limited number of spaces so yeah it is competitive but the people who have done it they don't have two heads like my dad would say so why can't you do it True, I know true. it's not as easy as that, but it just means that, like, yeah. I don't think that that should deter you from going after it. Exactly. And regarding that whole process and then people who go on to do training contracts, what what's, from your perspective and what you know so far and what you've experienced, what's the diversity of it all like? Um, the legal industry is still not as diverse as it can be or it should be uh there's still a very low percentage i think please don't quote me i could be wrong but i think especially for black solicitors i think we i think black solicitors only make about three percent or thereabouts of the population uh, of the industry um and that's obviously um compared to the cohorts that graduate yeah so bachelor's exactly, or master's even yeah. those who do phds yes and usually i mean usually now especially nowadays that other courses now are a lot more diverse some need more diversity but yeah it has improved but considering it's only three percent when you mm -hmm. would assume that there's a lot of in well, a lot of ethnic minority individuals have gone on to do a lot of law exactly yes so it's still not as great uh great sorry as it, it should be um the numbers are still quite low um, there's definitely room for lots of improvement um, but I always say this like don't let that deter you just because the industry is not diverse doesn't mean you shouldn't go into it and I always say exactly. that how is how are things going to change if people keep on not applying because it's not diverse if everyone says I'm not going to apply because it's not diverse then how is it going to change like you know yeah. someone has to break that like barrier and just go and go through yeah. it 
Yeah, you yeah, it says that psychological barrier where if you see this career pathway, but then everyone's just dominantly a white cohort, mm-hmm. and we think, okay, maybe that's not meant for me mm-hmm. because, because I don't see anyone like me that's there. But then if mm-hmm. you see someone like me that's there, like, all right, okay, we're breaking mm-hmm. boundaries here. Exactly. I'm capable of doing what that person's doing, and exactly. that's and it's not meant for only yeah, what white mm-hmm. people. It's it's actually uh, meant for you know black Asian. Yeah, all, all the ethnic minorities. So that, that's yeah. really good. So, and what was what's as a whole? How would you describe then the experience of attaining a training contract? It was a very emotional experience. Um, yeah, it was a very emotional experience, and I couldn't believe it. Like I got the call, and I actually thought it was going to be in there because the, the the lady who called me, she didn't like. She just started the conversation. So yeah, obviously you did. I was like, oh my god, it's going to be there. <laughs> Then she got then I was like, oh my god, oh, it was very emotional. Um, and they got back to me quite quickly, actually. So literally, like a day after, or like two days after. Um, so yeah, it, it was very. It just it gave me the confidence to really go after after what I wanted. Um, it just gave me that permission into, to some extent. I know that you shouldn't have to wait for things to happen for you before you just you shouldn't wait. But I think sometimes in life, sometimes we need that confirmation that we're on the right track. And we need that confirmation that we can continue to do great things. So for me, it was it was also that it just gave me that confidence and that push to continue to go after the things I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Just realizing like, wow, yes, finally. I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you're on the path that you've dreamed about. But a question then of what were you doing? while you were trying to attain this training contract. So after university, did you find work? Uh, what jobs were you working? Who, what companies were you working with? So my first job when I finished my master's was not even indoor. It was at a company in a job that in many ways I just, I didn't really enjoy. Um, but I just took it because it was the first job that came along and it just, why not um it wasn't that paid it wasn't well paid um the work itself was not the best i think deep down i knew that i was capable of more but because i was still in that like space of very low like self-esteem career aspirations and i remember my mom would say to me like i i want more for you and back then i used to find it very annoying like when she would say things like that but she would say that to me she'd be like i want more for you like almost like i yeah and you can you can do more you can't get more but I didn't want to hear that back then, but it was one of those jobs where, you know, you're underachieving, you know that you, you're capable of doing more, but you think that's what you, that's the most you can do. Um, so I did that for about a year, about actually, no, about eight months. And then when I finished that, I got my second job in the NHS. And that was today with like corporate governance and a lot of, it was mainly like admin and corporate governance. And then I moved into a different team that was more to do with like legal. But I think my time in the NHS was very profound in that it really pushed me. Like, I was very lucky to have great managers who, like, encouraged me, supported my development, and really just helped me, like, break out of my comfort zone to some extent. And my time in the NHS definitely helped me with my confidence back as well. Um, so that was what I was doing. Like, some people would say that, oh, why didn't you do legal work? I don't necessarily think you have to do legal work. Um, if, you, if you get it, it's fine. If you don't get it, it's also fine. Um, the whole point of a training contract is that you train to be a, a solicitor, you should have as much experience as you can, like, which is why vacation escapes and 
work experience are really good but if you don't necessarily want to do that because another thing paralegal jobs sometimes are not like they're not easily accessible to lots of people because some of them ask you to have the LPC some of them are not well paid so don't necessarily feel like you have to do a paralegal job after you graduate there's so many opportunities there that you could you can make the most of that you can still talk about your applications and you can still talk about your transferable skills um so that was kind of like what I was doing so I was doing a mixture of like admin work um and just general like other things I was interested in, in like yeah so while I was in the NHS I did I was kind of like in the group who set up the race equity network I did a reverse mentoring scheme where I mentored a senior board member and I did a lot of like voluntary work with kids at school so it wasn't just about me being here but I try one thing I've, I've taken from my parents and everything is like regardless of where you are you should make the most of like you shouldn't make sure that you're not just a person in the organization you should make sure you're actually making a dip, like you're adding value um and for me it was kind of like yes I was doing admin work mainly but I was to get involved so if a volunteer volunteering opportunity came up I would sign up for it because I wanted to do it um you know if something felt like it was interesting and I saw it I'll try to find out more I'll try to get involved in it so just really and it's a good way for you to build a profile as well because then people would near me as oh how it is very helpful how it is very intelligent how is very like um you know she's very innovative or how was a team player like so I was able to build my profile I was like yes I was not I was kind of like in a compared to the pyramid I was at the bottom to some extent but I was still well known in the organization for my mm. abilities and what I could do and that was a name for yourself yeah and that was because I was able to not just stick to my job but I tried to also like mm. do other things within the organization okay and where are you now where you working with so I work, you're working with and where yes so I work for an organization that is getting more black women into tech roles so we do this through our work book camps so we have coding book camps and we have like data analytics book camps uh, we're looking to launch a cyber security book camp and a data science book camp very soon our idea is that we want to diversify the legally um, sorry the tech industry and we're going to do that by upskilling black women and preparing them for those jobs so so far we've had like a book camp we've had like two two three two soon to be three book camps that we've finished already and we've had women from those book camps actually go into the first tech roles and actually go on to like either leave like some of them were in income poverty where they were not either they were on benefits or they were in very low pay jobs and they've left that to go into the big four you know the london stock exchange like they've gone on to do some amazing things and actually in some ways changed the course of their lives um so that's kind of what I do right now. So I'm a, I lead one of the book camps, so the Black Coder book camp. No, I don't know how to code. <laughs> I don't need to know how to code to lead a book camp. So because um, I don't have to, I don't teach it. I kind of like we have like a uh, delivery partners who teach the the course itself. But yeah, that's what kind. That's what I want. That's what I want to do with, with my time right now that I, I have before I start. And yeah, I knew that I wanted to do something that made me. Um, that was aligned with my values, something that I was passionate about, and I'm passionate about like equity, making the world a more you know equitable place, and doing my bit to just help people thrive in their lives and in their careers. And this was one of the so when this opportunity came up, it just felt like the right fit for me. No, that sounds like a really great initiative, and I agree that uh, that that market uh, needs more diversity. Mm-hmm. I've done some programming or some coding. Um, I've applied for some jobs in those areas as well and even when I've had interview days and I've had virtual tours of the offices um, mm. from my knowledge I've not bumped into anyone 
from a different well, all of them have been white i've been not bumped into anyone from an ethnic minority background yeah. um so that's great to hear that um there's this initiative and i'm assuming there's probably other initiatives similar to this mm-hmm. um that are being done as well and that's really great to hear um how would if anyone wants to do this coding course how would they get in contact um so you can email hello at blackcoder.com and you can also go to the website blackcoder.com and kind of register your interest on that okay okay so yeah that's for anyone who's listening who's interested in that uh go ahead and this is for free right it is fully funded how long so it depends on which one so most of the so if you're doing the front-end book camp it's about 16 weeks if you're doing a full the full stack one it would usually be 24 to 30 weeks so it is a big time commitment and you do really need to like be really interested in this and fully like willing to fully commit to it um and the classes are in the evenings usually twice two to three times a week and yeah you kind of if you're interested in tech you want to break into the industry you want to get you know upskill get those technical skills then definitely check, check us out that's that's great it's really good to hear um so yeah, if anyone interested uh, just check up uh what's just been said and have a look if you want to do that and commit to these courses that would definitely i mean that i believe will be beneficial skills um as uh, there's been a lot of upscaling recently saying or even the news saying that by 20 i believe it was 2050 that they have to reskill over half the working population um, especially towards uh, advanced uses of Microsoft uh, programming in Python, MATLAB, R, C, plus Java, HTML. Mm-hmm. So I really do think that's beneficial. So based off your whole experience thus far, what are your main tips and advice to people who want to study law, also to international students or black women uh, who are currently going for the education system or who want them to change career pathways and maybe go down the pathways that you've mentioned, whether that be becoming a solicitor or going into coding, programming courses for, for their future? I would say that, like, dream it, believe it, and do it. And I know that I'm not some motivational speaker or anything, but I think... <laughs> Like we've talked a lot about the power psychological barriers can have, the hold it can have, have over us. And in some instances, people don't think like, because they don't think they can do something, they don't even try. So I would say like, if you want to go into the legal industry, it is possible. It may be hard, but you can do hard things. And just because something is hard does not mean you shouldn't try. Oh, it doesn't mean, mean, mean it's impossible. Um, give yourself the best chance possible and that includes trying your best like genuinely trying your best um and you know and just going for it just going for it um so i would say that just if you want to do it like in tech as well if you want to break in tech industry we've had people on the book camp who have come from like no technical skills going into the book camp and are now working for like organizations like APAMG right it wasn't an easy journey like they they had it was like zigzag you know it was hard but they got there at the end and now that they're there it's kind of like oh it was worth it so i would say like if you want to do something and this doesn't even apply by trying to break into either of the industries that like we talked about but if you want to do something visualize it believe it in your soul that it's possible and that you're going to do it and then follow it up with action 
And the more you do the hard things that take that would get you to that point, the more your confidence grows, the more you start to believe in your abilities and the more you start to see the results. So I'll see yeah, dream it, believe it, and do it. Yes. Really good tips and advice for anyone. And to end I'd rather I'd rather end this more probably on some light hearted questions. So I'm gonna just give you some fun questions to answer about um okay just your experience so far so question number one what's your favorite british meal that you found to like over the past years oh wow i think i like i do like a shepherd's pie but not with like irish potatoes but with sweet potatoes i know that makes it spicy up a bit yeah i like that i actually think i just like it a bit sweet and soft so i like using sweet potatoes to make mine okay what is your favourite British television show or movie? Uh, British television show. Yeah, so you, you can't pick anything American. <laughs> um, I like Line of... Is it Line of Duty? Line I of like, Duty, yeah. Yeah, Line I love Line of Duty. I love, love that one. I love Call the Midwife as well, so that'll be tea. I have to say I've not seen either. At all. You should. They're really good. They're really, really good. How have you... I'm assuming um, with being Nigerian, so you've got Nollywood, um, and that's and obviously since Netflix has a lot of their content. Um, mm-hmm. So when you're watching movies and TV shows from your culture and you're comparing it to this culture, mm-hmm. um, what's the differences in the sense of humour? Like <laughs> when you look at the, when you're looking at the comedy genre here. <sighs> I think British comedy can be a bit crass sometimes, um, which can be a bit like, oh, okay. Um, and I think maybe Nigerian comedy is just a bit... I guess it can be a bit crass as well. Um, but maybe a bit more respectable <laughs> to some extent as well. It's really hard, but I would say maybe that's one thing. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it's, yeah usually yeah, every country has its own sense of culture yeah so yeah so it's understandable yeah i mean yeah british british sense of humor is in a quiet taste mm, that's it yeah. i think it can be in a quiet taste um yeah, that's, that's even that's maybe it. the nigerian one like if you're not nigerian as well you might think oh this is a bit of an acquired taste um mm. but i'm assuming do you think there's a uh generic similarities within continents so. of course i think there are similarities um so nigerian do 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 you uh, countries around Nigeria is there is this the, the, the comedy is similar sense of taste kind of like we're quite all like yeah we're all very similar even in our mannerisms sometimes <laughs> yeah. uh, because like Ghanaians and Nigerians like there's this whole it's just a jokey kind of rivalry between the two countries almost maybe like maybe not the same historical context but you know how like Scottish and English people yeah so you kind of have yeah yeah you have this sort of rivalries but you're still kind of similar as well so you kind of also get that within the country as well from different areas yeah, yeah. as well so like the southern England northern England just, mm. there are differences that uh can be quite noticeable um mm. so re- regarding also the differences um football wise did you support a team in nigeria or did you support him in the premier league while you and you... yeah so my family we've been we're a family of arsenal fans so i didn't have that much yeah, okay yeah yeah so <laughs> um unfortunately the nigerian premier like football league isn't where it can be um so it's not 
it's interesting that Premier League probably has a bit more like clout than the Nigerian one does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, there are a lot of Nigerian players. They um, are, but unfortunately, they're not very. Um, the the pipeline is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, Arsenal. I mean, I mean, they're doing better now. They did start off poorly, and um, they're doing better now. I mean, they haven't really been that good the past number of years. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's a slow process. Definitely <laughs> built the team. Um, so yeah. Um, regarding then some of obviously living now in a more diverse city. Mm-hmm. What's been your favorite places to go to? Oh, in Birmingham. I like Digbeth. I like the whole creative, artsy, hipster vibe of Digbeth. Um, yeah, and I, it's been the place where I've had some really good like connections with people as well. Is there um, any shout outs you want to give to any places? Uh, <laughs> Free advertisement. For <laughs> yeah, it's just big people, it's just vibes in it. Um, I'd say I'd say that um, it's so it's a, it's crazy that I've been in Birmingham for almost six years and I feel like there's still so much about the city I don't know that I need to really explore. Um, I love my area. West Brom is really nice. Um, I like my, it's like my little town where everything I want is like five minutes away from me, <laughs> so I love it. Um, but yeah, I'll see. Sorry, I'll yeah, Digbeth is really nice. I like that area. Uh, Mosley as well, very lovely. Um, yeah, there's a be like there's some very nice places that are like Clint is really lovely. I went there with a friend a while back and liked it. It's a very nice view. Um, so yeah, they, I, I, I'm probably not the best person to ask because I'm just kind of like in my little bubble most of the time. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. the is there a strong Nigerian community? Yes. Yeah, well, apparently there is, and I, I've only re- I've only found this over the last year or so. Um, I actually thought like Birmingham had more of a Caribbean community than he has Nigerian, but there is a Nigerian community here that is kind of growing. And we've got some, like there's Empress Byron Grail, which is a city centre, there's a Nigerian restaurant there, the food is quite good. You've got Sammy's as well, which is like a proper Nigerian like shop, like store, where you can get like everything Nigerian they could think of there. And those are some of the places that have been there all this time and I just didn't know they were there just because I never really ventured that far out. But apparently, yeah, there's a growing Nigerian community, you just have to know where to find them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've tried some Nigerian food, really, really lovely. Um, I mean, in my case, I usually just try anything. Um, yeah, good food is anything that just tastes nice, regardless of where it's from, <laughs> mm-hmm. to me. So um, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've gone to one or two. And, yeah, I mean, Birmingham, yeah, it's very, very diverse. Um, I know yeah. there's a strong Arab community, and there's a strong Pakistani community, Indian community, yeah. um, and many, many more. Um, so that's great to see uh, that that's available yeah. and mm-hmm. that, that that's developed over the, the mm-hmm. past few decades. Um, yeah. Birmingham, Birmingham, Birmingham has stepped up, um, yeah. especially from, I'd say, over the last 10, 15 years, I believe, mm-hmm. where it's invested a lot more. I realised that it was the second biggest city and it had to actually provide a lot more than, yeah, definitely. than what it did, considering its size. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that you've enjoyed your experiences in Hull yeah. and at Birmingham and when you do go to visit in London as well um, mm-hmm. and that you've learned a lot along the way and you've experienced mm-hmm. a lot of new things and that's helped you grow as an individual and thank you for the advice and tips and the experiences and stories you've shared and hopefully people will learn from that and will give them information on 
how they can nav- navigate the path that they've chosen to take. Um, and also, thank you for coming on to this podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed your time. Thank you for having me and some really great questions. I'm glad. To, I hope that uh, some of the things I've said, people find them useful and helpful. But yeah, thank you for having me. No worries. Okay, yeah, that'll be the that'll be the end of the podcast. Uh, to the listeners, you can follow the podcast on Ethnic Excellence Podcast. It's the same name on YouTube and Instagram and Spotify. So go go on there, follow, subscribe, uh, give likes. Additionally, if you're interested in recording a podcast, there are multiple sites for you to upload your recordings and they will share the RSS feed to other applications so that your recordings can be shared. You can use softwares such as Zoom or Skype to interview and have discussions with others as well as using Audacity to record and edit the sound files that you've gained from these interviews and discussions. You can also use Pixabay for music. Uh, The music used in this podcast is by Kama Media from Pixabay. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.